One of the uh, big rites of passage for any teenager, of course, is to pass your driving test and to get your driver's license. Uh, it's, well, I, I was going to say it's a big deal. Well, it used to be a big deal. Right now, it feels like it's pretty easy for people to get their driver's license. You basically just show up to DMV and tell them you're breathing, and they're like, here, right? Here's your driver's license. But back in my day, <laughs> it was a lot harder, right? It was a lot harder than it seems like today. In my day, um, we, I took my driving test on, at a DMV where they had like a specific sort of driving course, right? And they had all these different things that uh, you had to do to, to pass a driving test, like 10 or 12 different things. And uh, you can only, like, you can't, you can't fail more than two of them, right, to pass the test, right? Now you can like pay to get, the, to get your driver's license. But back then, couldn't do that, <laughs> right? Uh, so you couldn't, have, you couldn't fail more than, these, more than two things in order to, to pass a test. There's a whole list of things, but one of the things that's on the list, one of the most basic things to do is to show that you can stay in your lane, right? The, the, uh, the driving test person, whoever they're called, next to you will be like, all right, go in this direction. And what they're looking for is, are you able to, to follow the lane you're not swerving left or right or anything else. You're staying within the lane markers. You're able to follow the road. You're able to go in the direction that's laid out for you. But today, we're looking, of course, at 1 Samuel, uh, 1, 1 Samuel 11 and uh, 1 Samuel 12. And uh, really what we're looking at at a very basic level is what it means to follow God. And if you think about what it means to follow God, a basic way of understanding that you could say is it means to be committed to God. It means to go towards God. It means not to swerve to the left or to the right. To follow God is to be able to say, here's where God is, and I'm committed to following him. I'm committed to going after him. I will go where God is. I will go in the direction that he lays out for me. And we say this recognizing there is a very basic tendency we have. And that tendency is, and this is true for even the people of God, is to not go where God lays out for us. It's to leave the lane where God is and to go off course. Um, and what we want to see this, say this morning is that is and always will be disastrous. Anytime you leave the ways in which God has laid for, out for us, anytime you go in another direction, it ends up terrible. It ends up disastrous. Hopefully what we want to see this morning is we want to follow God. Here's where God is and we want to be encouraged uh, and hopefully to lay out, here's the lane markers. Here's what it looks like to follow God. And we want to go there. We want to go where he lays out for us. We want to follow God and we want to follow him alone. So today we're in 1 Samuel, as I said, uh, chapter 11. If you look down in your, your passage there, um, Israel is once again under threat from the surrounding nations. And this time it's Nahash, leader of the Ammonites. And verse 1 of chapter 11 says this. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. So this is not much of a treaty. Uh, Nahash is, is looking to basically permanently disable these people. And what you're seeing here is not something that's uncommon, I should mention, to, back in that day. If you're a nation that conquers a, a, another group of people, one of the things they will do is, hey, we want to make sure that you never fight us again. So gouging out the right eye was a way to make sure that you could, you could still do agriculture, right? You could still farm and be able to then give stuff to the nation that conquered you. But by not having a right eye, it basically permanently disables your ability to fight, uh, to fight effectively. Right? You don't have peripheral vision. 
Back then, if you had a shield covering your left eye, you, you don't have a right eye, like you're done, right? So Nahash wants to do this, and it's interesting. He's so confident that he can win that when these people say, hey, can we call the rest of Israel for help? He's like, sure, <laughs> go ahead. I think what he's thinking is, I want ever, all Israel to come and realize they can't do anything to stop this, to be humiliated, maybe leading the way to him eventually taking over the whole nation. So the call goes out from Jabez Gilead for help. And the call comes to Saul. You remember last week, Saul has been made king. Uh, but he, it says here he's in the field when the message happens. It seems like he hasn't fully stepped into that role. He's still working the, front, the family ranch. So he hears about this. He's not happy. In verse 6, he says, it says this, And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. See, what's happening here is actually really similar to what's happened in the past with Israel. Surrounding nations come. The people of Israel are threatened by these outside enemies. And what God does is responds. He raises up someone to rally the people against the threat. And this is what God is doing again. But now we have Saul, and this is what Saul is doing. He, he rallies the people, gathers an army together. Although we should say, here's where we're seeing what it looks like really to have a king. It's not like he says, hey, come if you want. He's like, hey, if you don't come, I'm going to kill all your oxen. So this is kind of a forced draft, right? But God uses this. He works through this to rally the people to come to the aid of Jabez Gilead. So verse 7, it says, then the dread, where am I here? Verse, I'm missing verse 7. No, then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came, upon, they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. So Saul has his army. They gather together. They show up, and they win, and they win big. The Ammonite army is destroyed. They're scattered. Saul has proven himself as king. It's a huge victory. And now, as they're sort of all excited about this victory, we're told here in our passage that some people say, hey, you remember some of the people who didn't want you to be king? If you look at the end of chapter 10, it says some people despise Saul. They said, this guy is king? So the people, excited over this victory, they tell Saul, hey, verse, uh, where is he? Verse, uh, where am I here? Verse, I lost my, I lost my place. <laughs> they say here, verse 12, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. So a little excited here, <laughs> wanting to, to eliminate all the people who were looking down at Saul. But Saul says this in verse 13. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. This is a great answer from Saul. He's showing grace. Here's the people who were like looking down at him, and now he's achieved this great victory. He could be like, hey, I'm going to dunk on you now and kill you all. He's like, that's not what we do here. So he shows grace. And notice here he's giving credit to the Lord for this victory. And it looks like Samuel was actually here at this point with them. Because it says here at the end of, uh, of chapter 11 that he says, hey, let's all go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom for people. This is in verse, uh, verse 14. And the chapter ends with them all at Gilgal, reconfirming Saul as king before the Lord. It says there in verse 15. And there's a big celebration. So, I mean, things look good, don't they? Right? Here's this big victory. King Saul has led well. Everything is good. The people have won. There's a great victory. But not all is well. As we come to chapter 12 now, Samuel is going to give uh, what we might call a, a farewell address. Uh, he's going to continue to be prophet of Israel, but now Saul is going to be sort of the, the political leader of Israel. He's going to step down from leading Israel in that capacity. But before he does that, 
he wants to remind Israel that, hey, not everything is good. Not everything is good between Israel and their God. What Saul does is kind of lay out the case. He's almost like a prosecutor, right, saying, hey, here's where things really are at. Verses 1 to 3 of chapter 12, he points out his own integrity before the people. If you look at those verses, you'll say, look, did I ever defraud you? Did I ever oppress you? Did I ever steal from you? And they're like, no, you've never done that. God is our witness. He's been a faithful prophet to Israel. Then verses 7 to 11, he gives a recap of all that God has done for the people. Verse 7, of all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for Israel. So even more than Samuel, God has been faithful to Israel. And what Samuel is doing is like, just look at the evidence. Let me lay it out in front of you. First, we were in slavery. Israel was in slavery. People cried out to God for help in Egypt. And God appointed Moses and Aaron, verse 8, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But then, once he freed them from slavery and they came into this land, came to Palestine, the promised land that God gave them, they fell away from the Lord. Verse 9, they forgot the Lord their God. As a consequence for that, they get conquered by one of the surrounding nations, one of the enemy nations. So they cry out to God for help again. They confess in verse 10, we've forsaken the Lord. We've worshiped other idols instead of following the true God. What does God do? God responds. Sends them help by raising up a leader, and they're rescued. And what Samuel's pointing out here is there's a pattern here. There's a pattern. The people are rescued from the enemies. Eventually, they forsake God. They stop listening to God. Then, as a consequence, they're conquered by their enemies. So what? They cry out to God again. What does God do? He listens. He sends them another leader to save them. So that's the pattern. What Samuel is doing in this farewell address is saying something different happened here. Something worse than what you've been doing before. The difference here now is that instead of looking first to God for help, you're looking now to the king to save you. You're under threat, and what you want is a ready-made savior for you. Verse 12, and when he saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over you when the Lord your God was your king. So basically what they're doing is they're skipping the part of going to God, confessing their sin, repenting, and then waiting for God to raise up a leader, a savior for them. They, they, they're like, God, let's get to the saving part, okay? We're under threat. Let's have a king that we can go to, a ready-made saver who's going to lead us out of trouble. That's what we want, and we want you to go along with that. Now, remember, last week we made the point that God is still God. He's always in charge. And so even when Israel's acting a fool, God still is leading the way. He's still establishing what he wants. And even in this idea of a king, God, back in, back in the days of Moses, God had talked about Israel eventually having a king. So it's not as if God is against the sort of concept of Israel having a king. The problem here, the problem here is how they went about it. What they did to bring this about. It's their motive. It's how they went about this. Rather than following God and saying, God, we, we will wait on you to establish the things that you want to establish for us. And to bring leadership in the ways that you want us to bring leadership. Instead of doing that, instead of following the road that was marked out by God. Staying within the lane markers that God laid out for them. Instead of doing that, they're like, we want to go in a different direction. And God, we want you to go along with it. We want you to accept what we're doing. And, and you know, this is, this is a problem. This is a perennial problem for us, isn't it? When it comes to God. We, if you sort of describe the human condition in one way, it's we want to go our way. And we want God to go along with it. We want God to bless it. We want God to say, this is good. This is okay. We can get away with this. 
You know, we all today, I think most of you, almost everyone here has a cell phone and you've got a map app on it. You've got you know, Google Maps, you've got Apple Maps. And, and the way those, those apps work is they'll say, you, you put in the direction you want to go and it will show you how to get there. And today, too, they'll pull in information. They'll pull in, like, the, the traffic at that time, if there's any construction. And so as a way of saying, here's the best route. Here's how to get to where you need to go. Here's the fastest and best way to do there, to get there. Now, the thing is, you can ignore that, right? So here's the app that says here's where to go, and you can, like, not take the turn that it gives you, and then your app goes crazy, right? <laughs> it's kind of constantly trying to reroute you. Eventually, though, the app will let you go in the direction you want to go, but it will say, okay, so you don't want to take the highway, you want to take local roads full of construction in the middle of rush hour. Here it is, and it's going to be twice as long, right? It will show you what will happen. The app doesn't lie to you, does it? It's going to tell you, hey, go this other way besides the way I've laid out for you, but it's going to be worse. It's going to be way worse. It's not going to be faster or better. We're not going to pretend it's faster or better. It's going to be twice as long as the way I originally showed you. God always makes clear where he wants us to go. He always lays out, here's what it is to know me and to follow me. We have the choice to not listen. You can say, I don't want to listen to this, God. I'm going to go my way. My choice. But here's the thing this morning, Roosevelt. Don't expect God to go along with it. Don't expect God to say, sure, no problem. God doesn't lie. What God will show is... Well, first of all, he says not just that it's worse. Here's where the illustration is about us sort of going in a different direction that's twice as long. To go away from God is to say to go in a direction that is a dead end, <laughs> that destroys us. This is what Samuel was warning the people about. You keep forsaking the Lord, it will come to no good. In fact, in the middle of this speech, just to show like this is no joke. This is what, what's happened here is serious. Where you guys are is precarious. It's, it's, it's not good how we've gotten into this place. We see here in the middle of the speech in verse 17, he asked God to send a thunderstorm right then and there, right? And it's saying, look, you continue to forsake the Lord, see the Lord's power. What's happening here is not good. And then at the very end of chapter 12, one of the last things Samuel says to them is in verse 25. Again, coming to this point, he's shown the warning, the power of God in that moment by saying, God, bring a thunderstorm. The thunderstorm happens in the middle of the wheat harvest, which tells him, like, this is, this is God saying what's happened here is not good. But then at the end of chapter 12, verse 25, he says very specifically and directly, if you still do wickedly, in other words, you continue to not follow God, not go where God is, the direction God has laid out, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Don't want to follow God? Okay. But I'm going to tell you very clear. Here's what will happen. It's not just that you'll get lost. It's not just that it's going to take twice as long to get there. You will get destroyed. You'll get destroyed. Here's what happens if we fail to follow God in the ways that he calls us to. But the other end of this is to say, but what might it look like to follow God? There's a warning here. Don't turn away from God. But the flip side of this is the encouragement. Follow God. Follow God and what happens? Well, here's, what Paul, here's how Samuel puts it to the people back then. Verse 14. If both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, it will be well. Follow God, commit yourself to him, and we, we end up in the place that God wants us to. It will be well for us. And so we've heard the warning from God, what it looks like to forsake him. 
Now hear the encouragement. Here's what it means to follow God. And what Samuel does in this same speech is list out a couple different things that so I'm going to mark as the lane markers. God calls us to follow him. Here's what it looks like. Here's how you know you're going in God's direction. Here's what God calls us to. Here are the lane markers for following God. Four that we want to list this morning. Number one, to follow God means to fear God. To fear God. Verse 14 of chapter 12 says, fear the Lord. Verse 24 of chapter 12 says, only fear the Lord. Fear the Lord means to respect him, to honor him as God, to treat him with the awe and wonder that says, God, you are God. You are the one and only God. And I, I respect that. I honor that. I, I fear that. I realize that you are God and I'm not. And that is something to not dismiss or ignore. That's something to appreciate with great awe and fear. You know, the fear of God, it's almost, I, I, I want to suggest, it's like the feeling many people have if you are able to ever visit the Grand Canyon and you stand there, you look out over the Grand Canyon, it's not just a big hole in the ground. It's, it's pretty impressive, actually. If you're there, particularly if you go to the Grand Canyon and you go to the edge where there's no railing, right, and the feeling that comes over you as you look out over the Grand Canyon, it's a feeling of, of awe and wonder as you look out over the Grand Canyon, but also there's a bit of trepidation. Right? Because if you're standing right at the edge and there's no railing, you recognize that you got to respect what this is. You've got to respect the boundaries of the Grand Canyon. If you lean too far over, you will fall and you will die. <laughs> right? but you, that, that's just it, right? You, you can't just be like, ah, Grand Canyon, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to lean over. Right? Grand Canyon has no problem saying, all right, then this will happen. <laughs> this is what it means to fear God, to appreciate and respect him as God. To know that to be before God is a dangerous thing. God is a lot of God, and we are a lot of human, right? And there's a huge, infinite gulf between those two. It's to recognize that God is God, and that's dangerous in, this, in many ways, but it's also to recognize God is God and has allowed us to behold him in his glory and wonder and to be awed by that. To honor him as God and respect him as God. To follow God means to honor and respect him alone as God and appreciate what that means in relation to him. Following God means fearing God. You want to go in God's direction, you must fear him. You must recognize him and honor him as God. Number two, no. to follow God means to obey God. Verse 14 says, Samuel says, obey his voice. And do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. What's another lane marker for following God? Well, we listen to him. We listen to him like, it's almost like a, like a young child has to listen to the voice of their parent if they're in a crowded place. Like, let's say Disneyland, right? One of the things, let's say a five-year-old is hopefully told by their parent is, hey, we're going into this crowded space. Listen to me. Hear my voice. Follow me if we want to get through this. That child will get lost unless they listen to the voice of their parent and they follow in the ways of the parent to navigate that space. In the same way, we must listen to and obey the voice of God if we're going to, if we're going, if we're to go through the, let's call this the crowded space that is life in a sin-damaged world. <laughs> we will get lost. We'll go astray. We'll, we'll get destroyed. God says, listen to my voice. Obey me. And we do that through what? Through, through the Bible. The Bible is literally called the word of God. <laughs> we have this word so that we know his voice and know how to listen to it and follow it. I don't know who said this, but it stuck with me when I heard it. Um, I remember it was, someone was talking about 
obeying God and was sort of speculating that when we stand before God one day, that we'll be surprised how much following God was just about reading our Bible and following what it says. <laughs> we'll be like, really? that's it? God's like, well, yeah, I called it the word of God for a reason, <laughs> right? How much of the Christian life was very simply, read your Bible, hear what it says, here's my voice, listen to it, and obey it. That's how you're wondering, like, God, I, what's, what's the purpose of my life? I'm trying to figure it out, et cetera. God's like, well, like, like, maybe read the Bible a little more. <laughs> ask questions about it. Pay attention to it. Study it. Have other people help you ask questions of it. That whole process God uses supernaturally to help you. The more you do it, the more you read and study the Bible and do it with other people in communities like this, the more God works so you actually can hear his voice and the more God works through you to listen to it and to obey it so you're following God. You're going in the direction God wants you to. Fall after God is to obey God. Number three, follow God means serving God. Verse 20 of chapter 12, Samuel says this. Yeah, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit you or deliver, for they are empty. See also verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. We follow God when we give all of ourselves, when we give your heart, your time, your attention, your focus, your focus, all of who you are. Following God means giving all of who you are to God and instead of giving yourself to things that are useless and empty. You know, if there's one pitch I can give you on like why you should follow God, why you should follow the God of the Bible, if there's one pitch I can give you, it's this. To give your time and attention to other people or things, desires besides God is a colossal waste of time. It is literally flushing money down the toilet. I can't put it more literally than that. To give yourself to other things is a waste of your life. That's what Samuel's saying here. To follow other things that cannot profit you or deliver. To serve other things, just to say, that cannot profit you or deliver you. To, give your, to serve with all your heart is that sense of giving your time and attention to other things besides the Lord. I mean, look, comparison shop on this one, right? Comparison shop on this one. Look at what it looks like to serve other things besides God, right, on one hand, and then look at what it looks like to serve God. Look at the difference. The first investment, and I can't say it more clearly this, the first investment will bankrupt you. Now, it won't bankrupt you immediately. Initially, when you say, yeah, I'm going to follow other people or things, desires, besides what God says, what, what, my, what the Christian faith calls for. Initially, it's going to go great. You're going to be like, I've never been freer. I've never been happier. Of course, you do whatever the heck you want, right? Of course you feel free and happy, right? No wonder it feels great to follow other things, to say, I'm going to choose my own way. But here's the thing. Life isn't just about what you feel right now. Life is not just about the right now. Life is about the whole thing. The whole 75 to 80 plus years that you have and the life that is to come after this life on this world. That's life. Life is not just right now. It's the whole deal. It's the whole deal. This life and the life to come. And to give yourself to other people or things and desires that aren't of God will ultimately fail you. You will come to the end of your life and you won't know at all whether you have something that will last. You won't know at all whether you have something that will endure as you pass from this life onto the next. You will realize I have nothing that a prophet or deliverer, nothing I can count on. That's the first investment. 
to serve other things besides the Lord. But the second investment, to serve the Lord with all your heart, to give the Lord the best of your time and attention and focus, to give yourself to the Lord. What the Bible says is that immediately it pays dividends. Immediately, once you say, I am following the Lord, immediately what God says is, in that moment, you don't need to wait to heaven. In that moment, I show you the profit that comes. Because immediately, when you give yourself to the Lord, when you give your heart to the Lord, God puts into your heart his spirit. And with his spirit comes enduring joy and peace and kindness and faithfulness. Immediately, God gives you lasting purpose. Purpose for this life that carries on to the next life. Purpose to know God and to be in a relationship with God. Immediately, God gives you community. A community of people that actually know you and care about you and pay attention to you and encourage you to follow God together with them. Immediately, God says, you have a life that lasts and that will never end. That even death cannot stop. To serve God, that's the only thing that is worth it. That is the only thing that brings profit. To say, look, there's a lot of things I can give the best of my time and attention and focus to. Here's the only thing that's really worth it because it's the only thing that lasts. It's to give myself over to God. That's what it looks like to follow God, to serve him with all your heart. The last thing we want to mention here, if we want to follow God, <coughs> we must remember who God is. We follow God based on recognizing that God is the kind of God that he is. Here's the kind of God he is. Verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people. So this is after Samuel said all these things about like how bad they've been, right? And saying, look, here's what it looks like to follow God and all things we listed, but he's, towards the end of his speech, he says this. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. God graciously chose this people for himself. They didn't pick God, God picked them. And that's a good thing, because any hope we have for staying with God, for following God, is really based on God, on who God is, rather than who we are. And fortunately, who God is is someone who doesn't give up on us. He doesn't get tired of us. That's ultimately what this depends on, that God is God. And to say he's God is he's a faithful God. He's faithful to us, even when we struggle and fail, he's faithful. Especially when you struggle and fail. Because, you know, listing all the things I just listed, can we be honest? Let's, let's admit, like, I can say all these things, and yet we already know we won't measure up. We already know that, yes, I know I should fear God, but often I, I don't. <laughs> I forget. I don't appreciate him as God. Yes, I know I should obey God and be in the word, but I, 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 this busy Christmas season, I got a lot to do. We don't listen to him. We don't hear his voice. We disobey him. We know we shouldn't give ourselves to other things besides God, but, man, those other things, they seem to immediately benefit me and give me pleasure and comfort and all these different things. And so we get distracted and we don't give our hearts over to the Lord. This is why following God really very much depends on this last one. We follow God and we'll keep following God on the basis of God being faithful, more than us being faithful. We can know we will know God and follow God because God has been committed to us over the long haul. And that commitment means God is always ready to bring us back. That I just listed all these things and I've already admitted to you we will fail. But also I'm telling you, because of who God is, we can always find our way back. There's always the road of confession and prayer and knowing that however far away we get away from following God, we can get right back into the lane. 
and know we'll get to the end. I mean, it's worth noting here that in the midst of all these things that Samuel has been saying to the people, the people, one of those rare moments for Israel, a rare moment of clarity, of confession of sin, verse 19 of chapter 12. And all the people, this is right after the thunderstorm, and the people are like, whoa, like this, that was not good. <laughs> and the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. They recognize, yeah, we've not been listening. And Samuel, in response to this, towards the end of this sort of mini address that he's giving here, this final address he's giving, here's what he says. Verse 23, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Now I will instruct you in the good and in the right way. Samuel promises to pray for them in response to their honest confession. <laughs> that, yeah, right, we failed. And that's something the Bible always says over and over again. God always responds to honest, prayerful confession. When we confess, when we pray to the Lord based on that confession, what we're doing is admitting, God, we know we, know we should follow you and we don't do it. That here, especially here, we need your help. We need a savior. And in this case, we don't have to wait to see what savior God is going to give us to help us follow him. God finally has given us a permanent savior, hasn't he? He's given us Jesus. He's come his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the savior that allows us to recognize we have all these sinful tendencies to not listen to God, to not follow God, to not fear him, right, to disobey him, to not serve him with all of our heart. And what Jesus does is cleanse us of those sinful tendencies, allow us to know what it is to follow God, and allow us to continue to follow God. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the best verses to ever have in the Bible. One, this is one of the verses to keep in your back pocket and to bring out every single time you, you recognize, I know I should follow God and I've failed yet again. Here's what it looks like. Here's who God is. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the guarantee that will happen. You may be here today and... and Maybe there's a sense of, of, of conviction because you've never been following God. You've been going your own way this entire time of your life. Well, I want you to know like that you don't have to be forever lost. Here is the call of God. Here's the call of, we say the good news of the gospel is what we often say. The good news is Jesus today saves you and keeps you saved. Hear his call and know then what it is to follow him. And you might say, I've, I follow God and I stray over and over again. Could God still want me? Could God still accept me? Is there still hope for me? There's always still hope. God always still wants us. But it does take something, isn't it? We, it takes admitting, yes, yet again, I've let other things invade my life. God, help me to hear your voice again. Help me to fear you and to honor you. Help me to serve you with all your heart. And that's a prayer God always answers because of who he is. He's faithful. He's the God we follow. Let's pray that we follow him. Lord God, um, thank you for this time and for who you are. Um, and Lord, thank you, Lord, that uh, in a world, Lord, full of so many different things, Lord, uh, the invitation really is to follow you and to know, Lord, all the goodness and, and, and grace and forgiveness that happens when we follow you, Lord. The goodness and grace, Lord, of recognizing that, yes, um, only you, Lord, provide us, Lord, purpose and meaning in this life. 
There's goodness and grace there, but also the mercy and forgiveness, recognizing that we easily forget. Um, we go after other things. We don't honor you as God. And so there's always that way back. Lord, we see the evidence of that over and over again with your people. There's stiff warning in this passage, but there's also strong encouragement as well. To follow you and to know it will go well. It will go eternally well. And so, Lord God, uh, as always on, on, on these Sunday mornings, you know every individual heart and what needs to be heard from what happened this morning. So, Lord, bring to mind, maybe it's a sentence, a word. Maybe it's a part of what was said right now in the sermon. Maybe it was something that we sang. Knit all those things together to shake us out of wherever passiveness or apathy we have or, or, or struggle we have. Help us to, again, see clearly, here's where you are and here's how we can get to you. And thank you, Lord God, for how you've laid that out for us in and through Jesus. We thank you for him and we praise you for him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.